Hello, citizens. I'm Daryl Lando, and this is On Civics, On Democracy. Today, we'll continue with the fifth pillar in my model of a constitutional democracy, the one I simply call unity. Most civics classes don't explicitly address this. First, because we tend to put diversity at the center. And second, because unity is no more a requirement of a democracy than it's a requirement of any stable state. But some warn that an overemphasis on multiculturalism or free expression creates an identity crisis for some citizens. In our federal structure, how do we balance provincial or regional interests with national unity? All this shows how the pillars of democracy sometimes balance each other or perhaps conflict with each other. Our politics can be divisive, as we see less civility and more hyperpartisanship than we used to. In Canada, there has been a pause on that during this COVID emergency, which for some is refreshing and for others worrying. But American politics has become so partisan that it has divided neighbors and families. It has affected decisions of Democrats and Republicans to marry. Their politics looks like a rough team competition where one or both sides has thrown out the rule book and paid off the, ref the uh, referees. It's an example we can learn from. On the positive side, there is surprising cultural change, such as the support for police reform or the recent Supreme Court decision on LGBTQ rights at work. In Canada, as bad as things get, especially during elections, it is less toxic, but the trend is not encouraging. The Samara Centre does exit interviews with retiring MPs, members of parliament, and it gives strong evidence of a decline over time. But we can't escape the fact that democratic politics is inherently adversarial, necessarily so. It is a check on power and hopefully a way to advance ideas. But when it is only a battle with no bounds, it can destroy our social fabric. There has been more talk by Alberta and Saskatchewan of Western alienation and separation lately, an unlikely Wexit. And Quebec's distinctive embrace of Bill 21 on religious wear reminds us of the long-standing two solitudes of French and English. Canada escaped the near-death experience of separatism in 1995, but cracks in our federation exist. And I'm not sure if we know the best way to deal with regions that push for sovereignty. Do you take the soft approach of allowing autonomy and dissent while appealing to their interests? But giving help to one region often alienates another. Do you try to crush it as Spain and others have tried with their separatists? An improvised mix. Our nation has a long history of managing these differences through battles in parliament, in federal-provincial relations, in courts, and in the public arena, often resulting in Canadian-style compromises that carry us through to the next battle. As we live through COVID-19, we see that when called upon, the country does pull together. There are other divisions. We have the same divide of urban and rural or cosmopolitan and communitarian, as we see globally. These splits are evident in Ontario elections, as it was in the 2010 election of Rob Ford for mayor of Toronto. There's nothing wrong about communitarian voters who care about preserving their local way of life, unless they fall under the sway of a demagogic politician who blames their problems on so-called outsiders. Cosmopolitan types are more open to change, 
and face criticism, rightly or wrongly, for lacking loyalty to place and being elitist. Throw in class divisions and other intersecting issues like race, ancestry, and immigrant status, um, and you have a nice mix. But Canadians also have enough cross-cutting identities and tolerance that the cultural mosaic works fairly well much of the time. In our postmodern age, it's increasingly hard to weave a shared national narrative or share a patriotic pride in national symbols. Progressives see little in the past worth saving. It's a litany of imperialist oppression. Conservatives, at least their reactionary wing, see a decline of civilization and long to make our country great again. The culture war that rages in the U.S. sometimes bubbles up here too, over discrimination, abortion, refugees, fiscal policy, etc. The so-called cancel culture that dampens free expression is more a feature of the far left, though it appears on both ends, really, and you can see it in um, Twitter warriors and such on social media. Uh, and yes, yeah, so the, these battles move from the online platforms to the streets over statues and street names. Have we agreed on a final version of our national anthem yet? It's hard to know when the debate moves from healthy to harmful. Conservative-minded citizens on the political right think the left takes identity politics too far, with special interest groups competing to be the most politically correct. But those critics ignore the message of inclusion and the coalitions of groups working over decades to correct the wrongs of the past. We'll delve into this more perhaps in future, but from hockey to healthcare, from C to C to CBC, I think our country shares some sort of common culture. I think we can overcome differences to agree on future goals for prosperity, environmental action, and democratic governance. Times of national crisis can also have a uniting effect even as they do test us. Back to the people, how can they, or we, help maintain unity? Well, civic education could help. I have heard a number of people call for that as a remedy for our politics, and thus podcasts like this. Also, media and internet literacy to help us handle biased messaging. And protecting our public education system as a key place where kids learn shared values, democratic values. Above all, we need to interact and form relationships with each other away from politics. It is both common sense and expert opinion that relationships of affection and respect are the best way to bridge political divides. I mentioned democratic values, by which I mean specifically liberal democracy, not other variants. While liberalism, and particularly the small L type, can provoke some allergic reaction uh, on the left and the right of our politics, liberal values unite us more than we are aware and can continue to. Both conservatives and progressives share basic liberal values. These include the possibility of peaceful reform and progress and an avoidance of extremes. Uh, Toronto's mayor said, quote, every single issue I face as mayor is a matter of balance, end quote. Other core values include separation of church and state, free speech, and individual freedom. Where people differ, 
it's more a matter of degree than a rejection of these values uh, altogether. Despite existing next to the American elephant, or probably because of it, Canada has a united sense of its difference. We also look outward to the needs of refugees and the international community in our role as global citizens. Former Ambassador Jeremy Kinsman wrote that Canada remains near the very top of any list of countries most admired for our stability, civility, and inclusivity. Externally and internally, we find unity within our diversity, but we have much work ahead to reconcile the divisions inside our society. All right, I will leave it there. Please follow us at Serve Democracy, and farewell until next time.